how yin's doing. I hope yin's are good. Ah, see what I did there. I am your host, Tressa Glover, of this podcast, Yins Are Good, and here we are, episode 12. This is the podcast that celebrates good stuff, good people who are making good stuff happen, good people who are making our lives better in some way. Now, this episode drops on uh, January 15th, 2021. Well, first, I do want to apologize for the slight delay uh, in getting this episode out to you. It is about two and a half weeks since our last episode, um, which is just over the usual two-week time frame. I have to admit, it's, it's been a tough week. I know that this past year has been tough. Uh, what we're all, of course, collectively going through, let alone what may be happening more personally for each and every one of us. Uh, but this last week saw the attack on our nation's capital and just continued record-breaking COVID deaths. Um, so a rough week on top of many rough weeks. But this is why I created this podcast, to share good news when we most need it, to share good stories of good people when we most need them and We sure do need them. And I shall not disappoint you. So today, I will be sharing with you some more uh, of your fill-in-the-blanks from our social media pages. Oh, and a word about that. Please do feel free to share your thoughts, you know, regarding those fill-in-the-blanks at any time. If you go to our Facebook page or go to Instagram and see what, you know, what the the fill-in-the-blank was, go on, go ahead at any time let us know and then you will most definitely hear your thoughts here on the show. I also have two stories to share with you of Pittsburghers from way back the late 1800s to be exact. What? It's true. And these are women who made others' lives much better uh, and women who should continue to serve as inspiration for us all. So, yay, we got those coming up. And we return to Name That Neighborhood in its original format. And that'll be later in the episode as well. Before we continue on, I I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening in today. Whatever day today is for you, thank you. I am glad you're here. And I hope this show can serve as a bright spot, as a lifting of your spirit, as a reminder that for every bad act, there are many good ones. Thank you for being part of our Yins Are Good community. And so, my Yinzers, you know we want to hear your stories. Here is how you can get them to us. Call us 1-833-399-GOOD or send us an email, yinsaregood at gmail.com. That yins are good spelled out, of course. We got to keep this podcast party train rolling. <laughs> We're a train apparently now and, and a party one at that. Oh my goodness. But you know what I'm saying. All right, then, without further ado, 
Let's get to the good stuff. Okay, let's fill in the blanks, shall we? And let's start with, we have a few more here, filling in, when I think of the holidays, a memory that always makes me smile is... Marianne says, Uncle Jack dressed up like Santa and the look on Marshall's face because he just saw Santa in Warren, PA. Tammy says, New PJs on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with all the gifts, food, and family. From Connie, On Christmas morning, when Darren was about three years old, he sat on my chest, pried my eyes open, and said, You in there? <laughs> oh, I love that image. So thank you all for those. Uh, and we have one more filling in amidst the chaos and uncertainty of 2020. There were also some bright spots in my life, like, and Rochelle says, a new nephew. He lights up my life. Ah, oh, Rochelle, congratulations to you and to your entire family. There really is no feeling like that. So congratulations. And thank you to all of you for sharing your stories to Marianne and Tammy and Connie and Rochelle. Yins are good. Okay, so on Instagram, we follow the page Pittsburgh Then and Now. And it's from one of their posts that I learned the following story. I did some additional research, but much credit to George Suckup for all of his work. Uh, and he is the one who runs that Pittsburgh Then and Now page. It is a great page, and I strongly urge you to follow it. Uh, it's PGH Then and Now. That part is all spelled out. So PGH Then and Now. So this is a story of one woman who was determined to make others' lives better. Mary Bond was born in 1837 in Carlisle, PA, and was brought to Pittsburgh when she was just three months old by her parents, the Reverend John Peck, who was active in the Underground Railroad, and her mom, Sarah Peck. Fast forward a few decades uh, to when Mary and her husband, James, sadly lost their eldest child. And when Mary's friend, Aunt Peggy Donaldson, uh, who was a former slave, came to offer her condolences, it was revealed that Aunt Peggy lived in a cellar and possessed none of the, quote, warm comforts an old lady requires, end quote. Setting aside her grief, Mary gathered four friends together to form what would go on to become Quote, the oldest home for colored women in the state and the first one started west of the Allegheny Mountains, end quote. It provided a home for, quote, <laughs> retired or widowed domestics, former slaves who had nowhere else to go, end quote. Founded in 1877 and incorporated in 1883, its doors officially opened on Linden Street, which has since been renamed to La Place Street. On July 4th, 1883, it was called the home for aged and infirm colored women. 
By 1901, they had outgrown their space and built a new 33-bed facility on Lemington Avenue in East Liberty. It was then renamed the Lemington Home for the Aged. The Aurora Reading Club provided the furnishings for the parlor of this new building. And remember that name, the Aurora Reading Club? Just want to give you a little note there. Mary worked in the Lemington home until 1917 when she moved into it to, quote, spend her remaining days in the place where her life's interests were centered, end quote. Mary passed away at the home on Wednesday, October 28, 1926. Now, as I mentioned, it went on to become the oldest continuously operated home for the aged in the United States until it, it closed its doors in 2005. However, redevelopment has been taking place since then. And as of February 2020, plans were still on track for it to become an affordable 54-unit senior development and community health center. The first floor is set to be a 16,000-square-foot health center for building residents and others from the community. All of this sprouting from a mother shrouded in grief who recognized others in need and chose to help them. Her epitaph reads, We the underprivileged do the impossible with nothing. An absolute inspiration. Thank you, Mary Bond, and thank you to her friends who joined her in making the home a reality for so many who so desperately needed it. Yins are good. Now, I also want to share with you the story of the Aurora Reading Club of Pittsburgh. So, as I mentioned, this club was responsible for furnishing the parlor of that newly built Lemington home in 1901. And I was curious to learn more about this reading club, and so here is that club's story. The Aurora Reading Club was founded by Rachel Jones in 1894. It has operated continuously since then and is one of the nation's oldest African-American arts and cultural organizations. It's also the oldest African-American women's club in western Pennsylvania. So, what exactly is it and how did it come to be? Well, the purpose of this club for African-American women was for, quote, the mutual improvement of the membership in literature, art, science, and matters relating to the vital interests of the day, end quote. And that is according to its constitution and bylaws. The first official meeting was in November 1894, when Ms. Jones invited five women over to her home in the Hill District. The six of them became its charter members. In addition to Rachel Jones, uh, those women were Frances Golden, Hannah Lovett, Virginia Proctor, Anna Posey, and Cora Washington. The club met in each other's homes, traveling by horse and buggy, and sometimes staying overnight because of the length of the journeys. During these meetings, they discussed authors, books, music, current events, poetry, and nature. The ladies also presented papers they had written on various subjects. Guest speakers were often invited to make presentations. The members also adopted causes and supported those causes by raising funds and donating goods. 
And they also spread goodwill by visiting the infirm and knitting sweaters for enlisted soldiers. The motto of the club was, well, and is, lifting as we climb. Its current members uphold many of the traditions begun by the club's founders. They still hold meetings to discuss books or hear from guest speakers. They also attend lectures, performances, concerts, and fundraisers. Their projects more recently have included purchasing and donating goods to local shelters for women and children, tutoring children for Reading is Fundamental, and supporting missionary projects in Africa. The Aurora Reading Club of Pittsburgh. Phenomenal. Thank you to Rachel Jones for starting it all back in 1894, and to all of those women who kept it going and are keeping it going, who have helped so many others over all of these decades, who have indeed lifted others as they climbed. Yins are good. And a note, I have posted some photos of the Lemington home on our website, www.yinsaregood.com. Uh, and they are courtesy of Pittsburgh Then and Now, and they come from the Teeny Harris Collection at the Carnegie Museum of Art. So please be sure to go to our website and check those out. Hi there, Don. Hi there, Tressa. <laughs> are you ready for this? Oh, always. Yay. All right. <laughs> Your 12th time at Name That Neighborhood. I mean, that's like a full year's worth. It sure is. Mm. Now, I do want to say now, and this could be sad news for our listeners or some of them, maybe. I, I don't know. But this is going to be your last go round with Name That Neighborhood for a little bit. You're taking a hiatus of sorts. Well, I thought it would be nice to have uh, other people join the fray, not have me have all the fun. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, so we're going to open this up to others uh, who want to come on and take a shot here. So actually, any listeners, if you think you want to give Name That Neighborhood a go, send me an email. Send an email to yinsaregood at gmail.com and let me know. Not to say that Don won't ever be back. Of course. Oh no, I'm 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 the go-to. I'm like the the designated hitter, in case a batter is unable to perform their duties. <laughs> That's what they used to say about the Miss America pageant. I think if for some reason oh, she's I'm unable the, so to perform her duties, up. yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, I'll be a perennial runner-up. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> there are worse things to be. Mm -hmm. All right. So would you like to know your choices of neighborhood this day? Oh, I would love to. They are East Liberty mm -hmm. and the Hill District. Okay. Woohoo. So East Liberty, uh, the home of the Lemington, home for the aged, and um, the Hill District which is the neighborhood where the founder of the Aurora Reading Group of Pittsburgh, that's where she lived. 
So if you're ready, let's get to it. There are five questions, statements. I still haven't gotten that right on the 12th time. (laughs) (laughs) No, in your defense that you've switched it up the last two rounds, so you might be a little rusty. Thank you for the support on that. Number one, the Pittsburgh Crawford's Negro League baseball team played here in the 1930s. Hill District. You were ready for that one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Pittsburgh uh, was, of course, a fast-growing city at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th centuries. And, of course, big reason for this was the steel mills provided a lot of jobs. And so, of course, there were many immigrants coming in, especially from Eastern and Southern Europe during this time. But also, there were a large number of post-Civil War era African-Americans coming to Pittsburgh as well. And one of these was Gus Greenlee, who arrived from North Carolina in 1916. And he served in World War I, then went into business. And by the mid-1920s, he was running the Crawford Grill Nightclub. Now, he was also said to have been uh, active as a numbers runner, a loan shark, a bootlegger, He had a lot going on. (laughs) Um, But the Crawford Grill was considered one of the best jazz clubs in the East. Uh, And so eventually, Greenlee decided, hey, I'm going to financially back a baseball team. Why not? And thus, the Crawford Giants were born. And of course, that team gave us really a who's who right, of Hall of Fame baseball players. You probably know some. Uh, Satchel Paige, right, Earl Horde, uh-huh. J- Josh Gibson, uh-huh. Jimmy Crutchfield, and Cool Papa Bell, which is probably one of the best names ever. <laughs> uh, and Greenlee Field was the nation's only black-owned baseball stadium, was the home of these legendary Pittsburgh Crawfords. All that happening in the Hill District. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gus Greenlee. Yeah, I believe Josh Gibson, like his home run record would beat out any of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame numbers if they would have allowed the, the Negro League players into the hall at that time. I think that that's, I hope that that's changing. But. Yeah, I would think that. I would think that they would start to realize that that needs to happen. Wow. I didn't realize that about Gibson. Yeah, I believe he hit more home runs than Babe Ruth. Jeez. Well, time to recognize that, I would say. For sure. (laughs) Well done, one for one. Number two. The first commercial-scale oil refinery in the United States was built in this neighborhood in 1861. Hmm. East Liberty. <laughs> You're right. You were ready for it. So the refinery was built by oil pioneer Charles Lockhart and his business partners. 
And it was built at Brilliant Station on the south bank of the Allegheny River near Nagley Run. And the name of this refinery was Brilliant Oil Works. Uh, And interesting, too, so the water they used for cooling, the cooling water, (laughs) how many different ways could I say it, um, required for condensing the products that were obtained by distillation, right? So for the whole process. So this water was conveyed by gravity via a pipeline from the reservoir Lake Carnegie in what is now Highland Park. Hmm. How about that? How about that? Now, Charles Lockhart himself uh, was born in Scotland in 1818 and emigrated to America with his family when he was 18. And he first worked as an errand boy, and then he worked as a clerk for a downtown merchant who dealt in dry goods and produce. And then, along with another clerk there, he became a partner in that business in 1855 and then continued his career to become quite a wealthy man and found some other companies. But there you go, right there in Sliberty. Yeah, very big with the cooling water or water with which to cool things. (laughs) Also correct. Also a correct description. Let's go to number three. Pulitzer Prize and Tony Award winning playwright August Wilson grew up in this neighborhood. Hill District. You know it. Mm-hmm. He sure did. So we could, of course, have an entire episode about August Wilson. Uh, but here are a few things. So he was actually uh, born Frederick August Kittle. Kittel. Not sure, actually, the pronunciation on that. Um, on April 27th, 1945, to Mom Daisy Wilson who was a cleaning lady and the primary caregiver for August and his five siblings. His father was also named Frederick August Kittle, Kittel, uh, and he was a German immigrant and a baker. And so his home was right there in the Hill District, and it was a two-room home, and a Jewish family ran a small mom-and-pop store in the front, and two Italian brothers repaired shoes and watches next door. Uh, And so Jewish, Italian, and Black were the three major groups in the Hill at that time. And then the Hill turned almost entirely Black after 1968. But when he was there, those were the main groups um, in the Hill. And he attended St. Richard's Parochial School. Then in 1968, along with Rob Penny, he co-founded the Black Horizon Theater Uh, a community-based Black nationalist theater company in the Hill District. Now, his crowning achievement uh, is what's known as the Pittsburgh Cycle or the Century Cycle. And you can chime in on this, Don, anytime you want, because I know you know about this as well. But this is a series of 10 plays that charts the African-American experience throughout the 20th century. And all of them, except for one, are set in the Hill District, The one that is not is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is actually set in Chicago. Uh, Now, and and some of you may know that um, that film recently came out and it actually, the film version of his play, I should say, it was shot here in Pittsburgh, much like Fences, another one of those plays was shot here in Pittsburgh a few years ago. 
uh, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, of course. Now, the story, the plays actually, uh, to give you an idea, they're not connected as a serial story, but there are characters who repeatedly appear at different stages of their lives in the different plays. Because basically, each play represents a different decade of the 20th century. Right, Don? Yes, ma'am. You're doing a hell of a job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I encourage you know, anyone listening who has never read any of these or seen any of these, um, whenever live theater is around again, um, be sure to. And actually, I want to mention there is um, a company here in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Playwrights Theater, that, and this is actually connected to August Wilson's home. So maybe I'll say this first. So um, the August Wilson home actually, um, when August last visited in 1999, it was derelict at that time and it was still derelict upon his death. He died way too soon in 2005. Um, But then his nephew, Paul Ellis, formed the Daisy Wilson Artist Community. And the August Wilson House is now a national landmark and restoration has begun on it. Uh, But there is this company, as I was saying, Pittsburgh Playwrights Theater Company, and they produce many of his plays. And so they began a few years ago producing his plays, and I get chills when I say it, but in the backyard of his childhood home. And they set up risers, you know, bleachers in the backyard, and it all happens outside and it's an experience unlike any other because you're exactly where he grew up. It's pretty amazing. Um, and they intend to continue that. Uh, that is the intent. Uh, and also the house itself um, is being restored to its 1950s period of significance in August's life. And Playwrights is one of the very few theater companies in the country that has produced all 10 plays. Yes. And if you don't feel like reading them, Denzel Washington has committed to producing all 10 plays for film. So if you wait long enough, you might be able to uh, see one of them on the screen. And how awesome is that? And and also he and Viola Davis actually, um, before they shot the movie, did the remount of Fences on Broadway. It should be said. It just was said. (laughs) <laughs> Should I say it again? Oh my goodness. Well, well done here. By the way, three for three. Don't jinx it. Oh my God. Okay. I'll just, let's just go. We'll just go. Number four. A jazz renaissance began in this neighborhood in the early 1920s and continued through the 1960s, making it the crossroads for jazz artists from around the country. East Liberty? Oh, the Hill District. I can't win them all. You jinxed it. Thanks. I did. You're welcome. But I got to use the wrong sound. (laughs) 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 Um, I think that is going to be the new wrong sound. Mm. You doing it. Oh, good. Note, Note to self. So, the Hill District. So... 
um, it became nationally known because it was home to legendary jazz giants like Lena Horne. You might have heard of her. Uh, Earl Hines, Billy Eckstein, Errol Garner, Roy Eldridge, Kenny Clark, all of these people. And these jazz clubs were located along Wiley Avenue, Fullerton Street, Center Avenue, and Crawford, there's that name, Street. It really was the heart of the neighborhood's entertainment district. Um, and according to, there was a documentary made called Wiley Avenue Days. Um, from the 1930s to the 1950s, the Hill District emerged as one of the most prosperous and influential black communities in America. And poet Claude McKay called the Hill District the crossroads of the world. And just a little note here about Lena Horne. So she wasn't from Pittsburgh, but uh, was connected to it by her father. And she did live here from 1937 to 1940. And she married a Pittsburgher and had two children while she was here. Yeah. And so she did sing at, you know, clubs and private parties. And a historian, uh, John M. Brewer, was quoted as saying that when she was here, she was without a doubt the queen in Pittsburgh. So there you have it. Let's move on to number five. Mm-hmm. The Bijou Dream Nickelodeon Theater opened in this neighborhood in 1913. East Liberty. Woohoo! You got that. I'm hoping I pronounced Bijou right. Me too. <laughs> so, yes, um, the opening of this theater began what's called the Great Theater Era in East Liberty. The Camerophone, the Regent, Liberty, Empire, Triangle, Haltis, and Sheridan Square theaters soon followed. There was also the Enright Theater, which seated 3,200 people. Uh, Dick Powell opened at the Enright. Gene Kelly and his brother Fred performed there. Um, And also, and here are some of these same names, uh, Billy Strayhorn, Errol Garner, Billy Eckstein, Mary Lou Williams. They all um, called East Liberty home. Uh, And there were also many businesses in East Liberty during this time. It included the National Biscuit Company, Isley's, Stagnose Bakers, and the first Sears and Roebuck Company store in Pittsburgh. Hmm. Huh. So you could go get appliances and some chip-chopped ham in the same block. Oh, you get that chip-chopped ham. At Isley's. You're you're absolutely right. Look at all the things you could do. You could. So there it is. The great theater era right there in East Liberty. And now the home to the Kelly Strayhorn Theater. (gasps) Well done. Don, I hate to bring this to a close. Our time. It goes so fast. Four for five. It does. It does. That That is... A stellar, I think, comeback because we have had a break, you know, five questions. It's been a while, I think, since there were five also, I think. Mm-hmm. Well done, sir. Thank you, ma'am. We look forward to having you here again sometime. Perhaps you can pass the torch to the next person who joins us. I wish them luck uh, and, I, and I hope you get someone. And if you don't, then I will be back here <laughs> next time. Thanks so much, Don. Sure. So please, listeners, someone sent her an email. Someone, <laughs> please. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Welcome.
And that is going to do it for us here, episode 12 of Yins Are Good. Thank you again for listening in. We'll be back in two weeks, I promise. Um, Hey, who knows? We might just start doing this every week. Um, So send us your stories, 1-833-399-GOOD, yinsaregood at gmail.com. I wish you well over these next couple of weeks. I wish you peace and strength. Remember, we're in this together. Let's help each other whenever we can. And until next time, be safe, be kind, be good. And special thanks to Charles Suckup, Pittsburgh Then and Now, Don DiGiulio, and as always, for our phenomenal artwork, Mike Rubino. 